The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm the founding pastor here, the lead pastor. I'm one of the pastors uh, now, as we've got a plurality of eldership. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, Our core desire here is to make disciples. Now, if you've never heard that, that's way different than church attenders, okay? If I wanted to make church attenders, our whole service would look completely different, right? It'd look completely different. Uh, My wife, for our our, uh, anniversary or whatever it was last few months ago, 13 or 14, I can't remember now, 13, I think. I don't remember, sorry. Uh, She got me Chris Stapleton tickets for this Thursday. I'm pretty stoked to be going to Chris Stapleton this Thursday at the... uh, I wireless slash tax slayer slash whoever will pay the biggest fee, whatever that changes its name all the time, center. And listen, I'm stoked to go to that. And a lot of people are going to go to that. And if we followed the same kind of like attractional mentality, we could build a service like that, right? Just have it all based on what we desire, what we like. Just kind of have a lot of fluff up on stage, a lot of feel good music, right? We put our best looking people at the door, shake your hand when you come in. Right? I wouldn't make the cut, but some of us, we'd get them out there. And we would just preach on what we feel or what we like or what we think. And it would be really fun for us. And we'd grow a big church. And then look, we'd look around and go, wow, look what we've done. This is so exciting, so fun. Problem is, Jesus tells us to make disciples. And he doesn't say, go invent what that, whatever you think that means. He says, watch me, look at me. Jesus made disciples. He lived on his father's mission. He showed us what a good life looks like, a life devoted to God, a life living for God. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make disciples like Jesus made disciples. And we say at Sacred City, the only way to do that is in community and on mission. Now, we don't like to hear that. We would rather it be through a class. We would rather it be through a download. We'd rather be through an app. We'd rather it be through just a Sunday morning. But Jesus teaches us the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. And we have to be centered on one thing, and that's the gospel. It's God's word to us in Christ. And so what we do at Sacred City is we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. All right. Um, The reason being is because preachers, the easy part of our job is to preach the verses that we've heard a hundred times. Right. Sometimes the hard Hard stuff is to get into these texts that nobody preaches or we don't preach very often and to pull out the truths, pull out the truths and the, and the beauty and the diamonds that are buried there for us. And that's the only way for us to really grow up, to really have a, bal- a well-balanced diet is for us to go through the Bible verse by verse and pull out all the truth for us there. 
And so that's what we're doing. And we're in the book of First Peter. And we've been finding out week after week how much a book that was written over 2,000 years ago is speaking to us today, that these people were living in a pagan nation, a nation that was devoted to Caesar, not devoted to God, a nation that was polytheistic. They had all kind of gods, pick and choose one. Just don't claim that yours is the only one that's true, the only one that's real. Um, they, had, they were hyper-sexualized society, right? Hyper-sexualized society. You could literally worship by going to a priest and, uh, who was a prostitute, okay? So not much different than where we are today, to be honest. Not much different. And so these Christians, as they were converted, as they came to faith, they felt like foreigners. Like they grew up in this land. All of a sudden, now I can't do that. Now I'm not going to that temple. Now I'm not going to burn incense to Caesar. I know you want me to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to participate in these games, some of these games and some of these things that you're doing. That's pagan. That's, that doesn't uh, put God first. That isn't discipleship. That isn't Jesus-centered. So I can't do these things. And what happened naturally is if you're living a certain way, and many of you, if you've had a conversion, if you've been converted to Christ later in life, you know what this is like. I grew up with some boys that I, we were the dog pound in high school, okay? That was our name, our boys. And we, we like to live a certain way. And we honestly, we, um, let me just say, I was discipled. When I, what's this is in my notes. This is how I go along. Um, when I was about 12 years old, I was in the woods of Parkview. And me and my brothers were out there playing and hiding around and looking around playing in the woods. And we come across this fort. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. We get into this fort. We open up this crate inside this fort. And there's a box full of Playboys. And I remember opening it up the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. I opened it up and I was shocked. And in that moment, something hooked me. Something changed in me. That I began to see women as objects of sec of, to express my sexuality. And I began to take from people and not see them as human beings. And I was discipled under and inside of this, this grotesque perversion of human sexuality and manhood propagated by Hugh Hefner, who just met his maker this week, who wasted his life and ruined the lives of millions of men and millions of women around the world. And I remember being hooked in this and then growing up in it. And then me and my boys, that's what we bragged about. And that's what we talked about. And it was all sports and it was all women. And it was a complete change when Jesus came into my heart and Jesus saved me. And I was converted and I realized, oh no, I'm not one of the boys anymore. Right? I stopped going out with them on, on the weekends. I stopped going to parties because I knew where that was going to end up. I knew what was going on. And all of a sudden, I became, you know, the, I, I got converted. I got religion. I met Jesus. And I'd bring them along, and, and they'd hear a great talk, and they'd stand up and accept Christ. And then we'd go back to, you know, when we went to college, we'd go back to college, and they'd go out on Friday night, and I'd stay. And I'd be like, dude, what's going on? Why, you just gave your life to Christ. Why aren't you giving your whole life to Christ? Stay. And we can go, hey, we can go have fun. We can go do other stuff. Let's just not go do that. And you, if you've been converted like that, if you've had that experience, you know what it feels like to be not one of the boys anymore, to not be an insider anymore, to not be able to go with the flow anymore, to see the world different anymore. Now, you know, I, I don't giggle and poke fun at Hugh Hefner, right? I, I don't joke about it. I see how demonic his whole life was, right? It's not a funny thing what he's done to women. It's a, it's a disgusting thing what he's done to men, right? 
it's not fun anymore. That's who I used to be. I can't go that way anymore. I can't go in that direction. And these people in 1 Peter are experiencing those same pains. They have came to Christ. They can't go that way anymore. They can't be that man anymore. They can't be that woman anymore. No, Mom, I can't do that for you anymore. You know what? No, I don't worship in this worship this family, this nuclear family anymore. I have a different family, and that family's my family in faith, and that's going to change everything about my life. And they were experiencing a lot of persecution because of it. And the reality is, if you are a Christian in today's society, you will be experiencing some of those, that persecution. You will be. You'll be feeling like an outsider. You'll be confused. Why is my life not going this way? Why? I thought coming to Christ was going to make my life easier. Why is it getting more difficult? Why are people pushing away from me? Why do people think I'm some kind of puritanical monster? Right? What, what, people don't want to be around me as much anymore. They don't think I'm as fun anymore. Some of these things might be going through your mind. And P- Peter is writing to them, and he's telling them where their hope lies. Right? And he's writing to us, and he's been trying to speak into us at the same the same way. And here's the controlling analogy. Did I pray? I haven't prayed yet, have I? Woo! All right. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Um, I am not competent to share your word. I am not competent to speak your scripture. I am not competent to preach your truth unless the Spirit enable me. So I ask the Holy Spirit to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, Father. Let everything I say be clear and let it, be, let it be known that it comes straight from the text, Father. Let people see exactly where I got what I'm trying to say from the text this morning. Give us a greater love for you and a greater love for your word as you lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is the controlling analogy for us this morning from the Apostle Peter. All of his readers and all of us by extension, listen, we're going about our lives the best way we saw fit We were all charting our course. We were all determining who we are, right? Where we will go, what we're going to do with our lives. We're all walking down this road of our own making, this road of our own choosing, this road of our free will. And then God drops a huge brick right in front of us. The metaphor is that we all, every human being has two choices. You can stop, admire the brick, and then build your entire life upon it to our eternal honor where we will never be put to shame. Or, option two, look at the stone, reject the stone, stumble over it, get offended by it, ignore it, try to go around it, and attempt to build our life without the stone to our eternal shame. That's the controlling metaphor this morning. And of course, it's an architectural and construction metaphor. Peter here in our text is talking about a cornerstone that was used in the construction of a home. Now, here's what a cornerstone, cornerstone is. It's similar to a foundation. It is part of the foundation. But what a cornerstone was, was a cornerstone was the first brick that was laid, the first block of the foundation that was laid, okay? And the dimensions of the house would go off of this stone. The stone had to be square, 90 degree angles to build off of it. And you had to build on top of it as well. The cornerstone was the most important piece of the entire house. It's the first stone that is laid for the foundation to a home, and it's the most crucial part of the whole construction. 
the builder, listen to this, would often spend as much time picking out the cornerstone as they would building the rest of the house. They would spend as much time picking out the cornerstone as they would constructing the rest of the house because the cornerstone had to be perfect. If the cornerstone was weak, the rest of the construction could come crumbling down, right? If you build on top of this this cornerstone and it's weak, it's made of frail materials, 10 years down the road, the house is going to break, the house is going to creak, the house is going to sag, and you could lose the whole investment. If the cornerstone was crooked or misshapen in any way or it was out of square, the rest of the house would be out of square and crooked and misshapen as well. So the cornerstone supported the rest of the house and it also determined the shape of the house. That made it the most important and precious thing in the entire construction process. And Peter here says this, Jesus is that cornerstone. Jesus is the living stone, because he was resurrected. He's the living stone who was, look, rejected by men. Now, I want you to hear this. They've been rejected by their family. They've been rejected by their friends. They've been pushed away to the margins of society. They're looked at as weird now. And Peter's saying, hey, hey, remember Jesus? He was also rejected by men, but he was chosen and he was precious to God. And Peter says, those who believe in Jesus will not be put to shame. They will be honored. Now, so much of our life, so much of our life, we live trying to avoid shame. And Peter says here, you want to know how to avoid shame? Here's your answer. You'll never be ashamed again. Build your life on Jesus Christ. I want us to see a few important things this morning. Actually, two major things. Number one, Christians build their lives on Jesus. Christians build our lives on Jesus. Peter says, anyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. I'm afraid that most of us, many of us, misunderstand what it means to believe in Jesus. We've been lied to. We've been lied to by preachers. We've been lied to by youth pastors. We've been lied to by, no, you're going to be surprised, Facebook posts. Been lied to by books we've read. Peter is not talking about praying a prayer. Peter is not talking about believing in your mind. I believe in Jesus. He was a real person. My mama told me that. He's not talking about even feeling a certain way in your heart. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Why? Because I get warm fuzzies when I think about him. The analogy shows us exactly what Peter is talking about when he says we must believe in Jesus. What does it mean to really believe in Jesus? Well, this is really clear from our analogy that Peter's using. What is a cornerstone for? It's not there to believe in with your mind. God drops the brick in front of your path and you go, I believe in it. There it is, the cornerstone. I believe. It's not there just to believe in. Believing in the cornerstone, it's not just, well, I believe in Jesus, or I believe Jesus died for the sins of mankind, or I believe Jesus died for my sins. 
Many of us have been taught like a parrot to repeat that since childhood. Jesus died for my sins. What's the gospel? Jesus died for my sins. Now that's not, that's true, but that's not what it means to believe in Jesus. Can I, you, you know the devil believes in God? Do you know the devil has better theology than you do? He knows that God's sovereign, God's ultimate, God's glorious, God's powerful. He knows exactly what God did to overcome Satan in his kingdom. He knows exactly what Jesus paid for and what Jesus purchased on the cross. And Jesus believes in God. And Jesus, or, I'm sorry, and the devil believes in God. And the devil believes in Jesus. Uh-oh, that should cause us some concern. What does it mean to really believe in God? Peter's saying, if you believe in the cornerstone, you build your whole home on top of it. It's clear. You drop a cornerstone in front of me, okay, if I believe it, then I build my life upon it, right? That's what a cornerstone is for, to build your home on top of. This is the reality of our world. Now, I want you to see this. Everyone is building their life on something. It doesn't matter if you, you say you believe in Jesus or you're an atheist or you're agnostic or you're a Hindu. It doesn't matter what religion you say you are or you're just spiritual. Every human being right now is building their life on something. Everyone's life has to have some cornerstone, something that they chose and they found precious and they said, this is the stone I'm going to build my life on. This is the reality I'm going to build my life on. Everyone has to. Now, I was reading a sermon from Dr. Timothy Keller on this verse this week, and this is what he said. How do you know what the functional cornerstone of your life is? The functional, what he means by that is everybody can say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But we know if you believe in Jesus by your life, if it's built upon him or not. And we can find out what your functional cornerstone is by looking what have you built your life upon, okay? That's what he says. It's very simple. How do you know what the functional cornerstone of your life is? It's very simple. When the winds come, when the storm howls, and when the waves come and beat against the cornerstone, the cornerstone is the one part of your life that if it shakes... If that thing crumbles, everything crumbles. Just look at yourself. Look at what your non-negotiables in your life are. Those are your cornerstones. What are the things that you would say, if I lose that, I lose everything? Those are the cornerstones. See, the Bible talks about this, and Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 6, when he says, who who do you call me? And they said, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, You can't call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say. He says, if you do my words, if you obey my teaching, then you're like a man building a house upon a rock. The floods came and the winds blew and it could not be shaken. But a man who says, Lord, Lord, but does not do the things that I say, does not build on me. He's like a man who builds his house on the sand. The winds howl, the floods come, and the house falls, and great is the fall of it. See, that's how it goes. When the floods come, when the troubles come into your life, and you feel like you're shaken to the roots, and you feel like your life is about to fall, that you're not doing the right thing. If Listen, if you say, if only I could get out of this storm, 
If only I could get out of this wind. If only I could get out of this flood. Don't you see what you should be asking is, why am I so vulnerable? Why is my house shaking? Why? What is my cornerstone? What am I building my life on that would make me this vulnerable? That's the question we should be asking. See, the flood is not your problem. The winds are not your problem. The rains are not your problem. Your problem is your cornerstone. To believe in Jesus Christ is to never be ashamed. Which means if you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, right, you tear up all the old cornerstones and you say, from now on, I'm building my house on nothing else but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. What are your faulty cornerstones? Is it money? Is it success? Is it your career? How often are you stressed and angry about getting ahead? See, money and success, they're fragile cornerstones. They can crumble at any moment and your whole life will be left in shambles. And shame upon shame will swallow you up. Your cornerstone is your kids. You'll be so fragile. You'll be so anxious, so frantic when things aren't going well, when they're making some bad decisions and they're not living up to their potential. You'll be so fearful. Why? Your kids are not the chosen and precious cornerstone that Christians are called to build their life upon. They aren't Jesus. Your kids aren't Jesus. They can't carry the burden of your life, of the meaning of your life. They can't carry that weight. You will crush your kids under it, and your foundation will always be wobbly. Always be wobbly. They can't carry the burden of your soul's desire. Only Jesus can carry that burden. And this is why. Jesus is the Son of God. He was chosen by God and is precious to God. And what did Jesus do for us? Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life that we all have failed to live. And this is what that means. Jesus built his entire life on the foundation of God's perfect and forever love. Jesus lived like a loved son his whole life. Jesus didn't build. Why do you see Jesus always rejecting money and telling people, like, telling people, don't bring your money bags with you this time. We're going to go out there and we're just going to trust God. And when the devil offers him food when he's hungry, he rejects it. You see Jesus pushing back from all of these foundations. People come into his life and they offer him a faulty foundation. And Jesus says, no, I reject it. I'm only going to trust in the Father. And that's why when Peter, who's writing this, says, Jesus, you'll never be crucified. Never. We won't let you die. He says, get behind me, Satan. See, what was he doing? Peter was offering him the faulty foundation of comfort, right? I think you can have a king. I think you can have a kingdom. I think you can start a movement. I think you can do this whole new kingdom of God thing that you've been talking about without actually dying. There's a, there's a way around the cross for you, Jesus. And 
Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He saw Peter as a temptation from the devil to build his life on some other foundation. Jesus rejected them all. He, he could have came as a king, right? He could have came as a powerful ruler. He came as poor. He, right, he could have came into an up-and-coming family. He didn't. Jesus rejected all these faulty cornerstones, and he built his life on the one foundation of God's love. And then Jesus loved everyone else and all their faulty foundations. He loved everyone else perfectly. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus switches places with sinful mankind. He deserved to be honored, and instead he embraced the shame. He it says he despised the shame when he went to the cross. He took our shame upon him and turned it into honor. He took the place that we deserve as sinners. Jesus went to the cross in our place for our sins so that we might receive honor from God. This is the gospel. See, this is the good news that all of the Bible is about. This is what Jesus came to declare to us. I've took your place. I've cleansed you from your sins. If you build your life upon me, if you put your faith in me, if I'm the one cornerstone of your life and you're not looking for other, trying to build other foundations to build your life upon. Jesus, the only man in the history of men and women who perfectly obeyed God. And when we build our life upon him, when we place our faith in him, God then now is perfectly pleased with us. It's the great exchange. Jesus gets treated like a sinner, so we get treated like a son or daughter. We can never, if you build your life on that, you can never be ashamed. Because you, you can never lose it can never be embarrassed about it. You've already been exposed as a sinner. What else can the world say about you? What else can anybody say about you? Right? Our response when someone says something to us that says, you know what, you're this, you know, whatever. They, they critique us in some way. Our first response should be, you don't know the half of it. But you could see what was in my heart. You could see what was in my mind. You don't know the half of it. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to worry about it. Why? Because my identity is in Christ. My righteousness is in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. I will never be put to shame because my righteousness is found in the perfect one, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is our only impeccable foundation to build our life upon. And Romans tells us, Romans 8 tells us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No, no condemnation, no shame, freely we're, we've been given freedom, right? When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now listen, if you know today that you're not really a Christian, you're not, you haven't built your life on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, your whole life doesn't revolve around Jesus, what do you have to do? Like, what do I have to do to do that? Here's the start. Believe in Him. See Him as beautiful. See Him as good. See Him as kind. See him as loving, and then build, begin to build your life upon him. Now listen, building takes time, right? This is a process. It's not going to change overnight. Begin to put more weight on him, more of the meaning of your life. Lay it on him and see what he does. See if he can carry it. Trust him. But even if you're a Christian in here, if you're a Christian, don't you see 
I'm a, I've been a pastor for quite a while now, and I meet people and I talk to people, and I know in my own heart we're ashamed a lot. We're Christians, and yet we're ashamed a lot. Jesus, Peter says, the ones who trust in him, the one who build on him, they'll never be put to shame. But we're ashamed. What's the deal? You know why? Because we don't build on him completely. See, I had a construction company for a long time. I do a lot of construction process, pro- projects, build a lot of homes, do these, these things. And you can have a, this is what people do, right? We want to build our life on the foundation of Jesus, but then put a room addition out with a faulty foundation, right? Put a deck on, just sit it on the ground, right? And what happens is that begins to settle, that begins to sink, that begins to fall apart. And what it can actually do is damage the house, damage the whole house, pull it off of its foundation. And this is what Christians do. We say, I built my life on Jesus, but then we want to put on a new wing on some other faulty foundation. If Jesus were our only cornerstone and we had no other foundations, we would never be ashamed. We'd never be let down. We would never be crushed. We would never be shattered. We would never sink. We would never be despondent and lose hope. We wouldn't because our foundation is unshakable and immovable. And the song we sing today, we have an anchor that goes behind the veil. Now, most of us probably sang that and, oh, that sounds good. have no idea what that means, right? It means that in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the holiest of holies, was blocked by a veil. And you couldn't go back there unless you were a priest and on Yom, Yom Kippur. It's the only time you could go back there. But what happened when, the, when, the, when Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And Jesus Christ, I think it's Hebrews 4.12, tells us that he is our foundation, that he is our anchor, that he can go into the inner most holy of holies, and we have an anchor that's right there. We have been made righteous of God, and we, have, we will never lose his presence. Do you see that? We have an anchor that goes back in behind the veil where only the Holy of Holies could go. We have an anchor that goes back there that locks us into the presence of Jesus because of the, right, because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us. We knew that. We never think God is upset with me. God is distant from me. God is far from me. He was, he was timing me today. My devotions were three, three minutes too short. He went, oh, my children. Three minutes, three more minutes, and I was just going to pour, open up the windows of heaven, just pour out blessings for you. But now, your car won't start. <laughs> That's not God. That's religion. We have an anchor that goes behind the veil. We have a foundation that's sure we cannot be put to shame. That means he's not going to shame us either. Come to him. If you're ashamed, if you're ashamed, come to him. Listen, you know what that also means? We say this sometimes at Sacred City. When you realize your only foundation is Jesus Christ, no one can shame you. I'm unshameable. You could tell. If you believe it, if you believe that your righteousness is solely found in Christ, you could tell your worst secret to your worst enemy. 
you could tell your worst secret to your worst enemies and be okay with it. Why? My identity is not in what they think of me. My identity is not in this facade that I've built up and what people perceive me to be. My identity is in Jesus Christ. My foundation is unshakable. Never be put to shame. So if you find yourself ashamed today or tomorrow or this week, confess to him your faulty cornerstone. Father, I've been putting my faith in the approval of people and now I'm ashamed and I'm wondering why I'm ashamed because I'm in Christ, but now I remember I put on a wing to the house, right? And it's a janky addition, right? It's one of those home, I'm sorry, it's one of those homeowner jobs, right? If you're a contractor, you walk in, oh, you watched a TV show and you thought you could do this. (laughs) Oh, Okay. It looked real easy on TV, didn't it? Right? Tiles all crooked, everything's all busted up, right? No, it looked easy on Fixer Upper. It ain't that easy. You need to hire somebody for that, right? You need a firm and solid foundation, right? Confess your faulty foundations to him. Put your faith in Jesus. Pull, pull that wing back in and put it, put it back on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the first one. Christians build their entire lives on Jesus. Second one, Christians build our lives around the church. Many of us, we accept the first part of this sermon, but we've bought into this individualism that we've grown up in in our culture that believes that everything's about you and Jesus. You and Jesus, it's you and Jesus in your quiet time. The most important thing for you to do is just get alone with God a little bit of time each day, and it's just you and Jesus, you and Jesus, you and Jesus. That's not the analogy that Peter uses. It would actually destroy the analogy. Many of us, we believe we should build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, but here's what we reject. We we trip over the rest of Peter's analogy. Look at verse 5. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 4 first. As you come to him, which means to come to Christ, you're coming to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of of God chosen and precious. Look, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, none of you in this room probably came here today thinking you were on the road to priesthood. Right? Especially if you're married, right? Like, no, no thanks. Celibacy thing. Nope, right? Peter says, the believer, the saint, we are on the road to priesthood. We are being made priests together. Now, keep reading. To offer spiritual sacrifices except to God through Jesus Christ. This is our life, Romans, tell, Romans 12 tells us. Offer to God. The living, our, living, our life is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Yes, when we lift up our hands, that's worship. Yes, when they play music. Yes, when you move side to side, if you dare, Right? That's worship too. But so is when you give of your money. So is when you reach down and you help someone less fortunate than you. So is when you're reading your devotions at home. So is when you go to your missional community and you're living life together. All of these things are worship offered up to our God. But what I want you to see here is the cornerstone, Jesus, the foundation, is not the only thing the house is made of. It is the vital thing. It is the most important. It is the primary thing. But who would lay a foundation and then not build walls? 
Now, what are the walls of our life? What are the walls Peter's talking about here? Peter's very clear. He says, it's your church family. He says, you yourselves. You know what he's saying there? You know what you yourselves is? We don't have this in our Midwestern vernacular. Thankfully, I didn't grow up or I didn't, wasn't raised by Midwesterners. You know what Peter's saying here? Y'all. Y'all. Y'all are living stones built up together. Y'all, it's collective. It's not written to individuals. Did you know that, that this letter was not delivered to a Christian and said, okay, read this. Peter has this for you. Read this in your quiet time. This was delivered to churches, communities of people. They read it collectively. Y'all read this. When we believe in Jesus, here's what Peter's saying. We become like Jesus, living stones, and he puts us together in a new spiritual house. You see the analogy. Jesus is the foundation, and he's bringing us together, and he's building us on top of the foundation into a new spiritual house. And that's the church. Everyone who has been born again becomes an important, vital piece to the church. You know what this also means? It means when we're building our lives, we're not the only ones who are building on a foundation. This is why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, we individually are meant to build our lives on Jesus, but we collectively are, God is building us into a church collectively. And God looked down from heaven And just like Jesus is chosen and Jesus was precious, God looked down from heaven and he chose you. He says, you are chosen and you are precious and I'm putting you together in this faith family and I want you to be built up into a spiritual house that the world can look at and go, that's what God's like. That's where God is moving. If I want to know God, I need to go there. I need to get in on that. And he didn't do this. He didn't look down and go, Alex Tate, a diamond. I need it. Put it in my wall, right? He looked down on us and we were sinners and we were enemies. We were broken, right? And he said, I want them. Think about that. We are, I mean, I just, that blows my mind. He chose us because he loved us, because God likes to big, God likes to build beautiful houses with bad stones. God, the Puritans used to say this, God likes to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. See, we are also chosen and precious stones to God, and he is building us into a people that, listen, together as a community, we show the world the greatness and the graciousness of our great builder. Then when people look at the church, they go, those people were so jacked up, but somehow together, it's beautiful. It's a mosaic. They're so broken, but you put it together and it's a beautiful piece of art. See, the church, this is what people should look at the church and not go, wow, those people are awesome. They should say, What kind of God 
could bring those types of people together in one place and they're not killing themselves. They're not killing each other. Black, white, rich, poor, insider, outsider. How are they dwelling together in unity? What a builder. See, God is building his church. He can take broken, misshapen, sinful stones like us and through Jesus make us into something beautiful and precious. Trophies of his grace. People say, well, what does that look like? What do you mean I I need to be a part of a church? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. No, you don't. If you love Jesus, you are the church. You're a part of the church. You might be in disobedient, disobedience, probably got a million excuses. You've been hurt, you've heard bad things, bad pastors, bad teachers, bad leaders, bad music, whatever. All of those are excuses. They're all real. We've been wounded, many of us. I myself have been wounded by the church. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're a part of the church. We've been grafted in. We've been given grace. This is the body of Christ. God is building us together into a spiritual house. We have no excuses not to commit, not to be one with one another. Look at Peter's example here. You think I'm just pulling this out of the sky? I'm just preacher trying to get people to come to church? Actually, I'm not trying to get you to come to church. I'm trying to get you to be the church. That's what the world needs. Not just this as we're living together out there. Look at Peter's example here. He says this, you are stones in the wall of a house, right? That's the analogy. That means, guess what? You're close to one another. Your lives interact and build on one another. You think that you should be able to live your life on your own? That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying you need your brothers and sisters. You need help with the groceries. You need help paying the bills. You need help babysitting. You need help with your, when you feel ashamed. You need, the, you need each other. What's he say? All right, does anybody just pile a bunch of rocks up? No, 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 they're cemented together. What is that? That's commitment. Listen, I get that there's other places you can go and you can get a certain type of worship or there's other places you can go and get a certain type of preaching or, you know what? Actually, I I got a lunch date today, so I'm not going to go hear Justin. He's too long, so I'm going to go over here, right? You're using the body of Christ. You're like, oh, the body of Christ is the universal church and we're all part of the body of Christ. That doesn't work with this analogy that Peter's saying. You're cemented together with other believers. There's nowhere for you to go, right? That's the church. That's what we're, that's the type of commitment we're meant to have with one another. Not, I get offended and I'm out of here. I'm a loose collection of individuals. We're cemented together as the church. And of course, to be cemented together, the rocks don't just naturally fit together. What does the builder have to do? The builder has to shape us. Knock off rough edges. Bruise us. Put us together. Cement us together. Shapes us to fit. 
See, when you come to Christ, when you come to him, the cornerstone, he begins to reshape us to fit into this new wall, this new community of people. We get reshaped and put together by God's sovereign hand to stand together. Now listen, you know, I, I know we, we love our heroes, right? And we love the one man who stands against the tide and he's the hero and he's, we're all individuals and we all kind of want to be that one guy. But in this whole analogy, we're rocks. And what's a home for? A home is meant to shelter, provide shelter, right? Shelter for a whole family. Building like this, shelter for many families. What could a rock do? A rock on its own could shelter a mouse. Right? You flip over a rock in a field, it's big enough to shelter a mouse. But when we're built together in a community of grace on the foundation of Jesus, we can become this safe place, right? See, the church is meant to be individuals who have been born again, made into living stones, put together in such a way that we are stronger together than we are apart. It's also clearly a beautiful display of unity in diversity, right? All the rocks don't look the same. And yet we're united by God, cemented together with one another. It's beautiful and it's strong. Now I'm gonna ask you, is your, you might be saying, yeah, I'm building my life on Jesus, the foundation of Jesus. You can't do that unless your life is knit together like this with the church. To build on his foundation means you're building your life together with other believers. Is your life knit together like this with the church? Like what? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Listen, if you're a college student here, you need to get knit together with your church. Yeah, you're going to get sent back in a couple years. That's okay. We want to train you and equip you and love you well and then send you out so you're a rock star church member somewhere else. That you, you don't just use the church and come and get a little pep talk, but you're actually in the church as a living stone being built up. See, we have got, whatever we've got, 13 missional communities across our cities, right? And we need you, and we want you, and guess what? You need us. If you're going to be discipled towards Jesus, the only way that happens is in community and on mission. A diverse community following Jesus together, being knitted together, being built together in a, in a foundation, in a wall. That's the analogy. See, we want, at Sacred City, we want to be a spiritual house that those in our city can run into and find shelter and meet Jesus, the cornerstone. That's what we want. We want to be diverse enough that when people come into our church, they don't think, oh, I have to be a Republican to go here. Or, oh, I have to be a Democrat to go here. Right? Oh, I have to be just like, no, 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 we're diverse we come from a lot of different backgrounds. We're all being made. We're being shaped. This is a process, right? Nobody's there yet. We all have our sins. We all have our blind spots. But you can come in here and find grace, and you can find the foundation that you can build your life on that will never put you to shame. Unsinkable, unmovable foundation. 
But why don't we? Why don't we build our lives on Jesus? Why don't we build our lives around the church? I started the sermon off this morning with the analogy of all of us living our life, doing our own thing, and then at some point in time, God drops a brick in our path. That brick got dropped in my path when 17, 18 years old. That brick is Jesus. And we have two options. See him as he is, chosen and precious. The only cornerstone that will never put your life to shame. Or reject him. Trip over him by trying to sidestep him and treat Jesus just like another way or just like another religion, just something you can add to your life. Jesus doesn't get added to your life. He either is your life or you have no life. See, those who don't want to build their life on Jesus and they don't want to build their life around Jesus, they're rejecting him. It's interesting, as you follow this idea of the cornerstone, in the gospel and Acts, those who reject Jesus are first century Jerusalem. And then in Romans, it's Israel as a nation has rejected Jesus. But now in Peter's writing here, it's any and all who reject Jesus and his church. Why do people stumble over Jesus? I, I think ultimately the answer comes down to one word. Pride. See, my pride wants a savior, wants a religion, wants a way of life with me at the center. I want to determine for myself what is true, what is good, what is worth building my life upon. And Jesus, by his sheer existence, destroys my pride. How? Because if Jesus Christ was a man, lived the life that he claimed to live, died, crucified, and then was resurrected and seen by over 500 witnesses, if that really happened, like biblical sources and historical sources outside of the Bible attest to, that he was a real man, that he was really crucified, all historical Scholars agree on that. And that he was allegedly seen by over 500, of his, uh, over 500 people after his death. Those are all facts, incontrovertible facts. Some people try to, well, he didn't really die. We didn't, all that's foolish. If he did all those things and he was really resurrected, that means Jesus beat death. Think about that. He conquered it. If he did that, how could you say that he, his way isn't right? How could we say that? If a guy came back from the dead, this is just kind of maybe something foundational that I believe. If a guy came back from the dead, you should listen to him. He probably knows something you don't know. He probably has seen something you haven't seen. And this isn't just a myth written down in a book. Like I said, 500 witnesses. See, pride says, I want things my way. Reality says, if Jesus beat death, 
I should listen to everything he says and I should build my entire life upon him and around his church because I want to beat death. Isn't that what you want? Don't we know that death is our great enemy? And we want to live not just well here, but forever. Jesus shows us what that looks like. He shows us how to get there. He's been there. He is there. He conquered it. But Peter says this. verse 8. Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then Peter, oh, Pastor Peter, why do people stumble over Jesus? They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Charles Spurgeon says that the gates of heaven, when you walk in, it says, come all who choose life. Come all who believe in Jesus. And then when you get through the gates and you look back, it says, only the chosen. You love me because I loved you first. Peter says, we stumble over Jesus because we disobey his word. We pass by the gospel as one more dish on the smorgasbord of religious preference. Not knowing that Jesus and the gospel is the only meal that will ever satisfy our souls. Jesus is the only foundation that if you build your life upon him, you'll never be put to shame. We all say, well, Jesus, is that's good for you. Peter says, no. He's the only foundation that, with, that can withstand a life of suffering, a life of addiction, a life of shame, a life of judgment. And of course, Jesus is the only foundation that can withstand death. Jesus is the only foundation that can withstand one moment in the presence of a holy God. You can have all the philosophies of life you want. They won't last a second in the presence of God. But Jesus has went behind the veil for us. He's the only foundation that can never be put to shame. Money might treat you good on this earth, but it will be no shelter in the presence of God. Only Jesus. So I ask you this morning, one, have you built your life? Are you building your life? This isn't a past tense. You can be 100 years old in this room, and it's not, I built my life. No, it's, are you building your life? Discipleship never quits, never stops. Are you building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ? If not, repent.
confess your sins to God. And as you leave here today, start building your life on Christ. Now, you might be a Christian. You say, yeah, I built my life on Christ. I am building my life on Christ. Is it built around the church? You say, no. Repent. Stop. Join a community. Get on board with the mission of God in our city. We're trying. Ah, As we come this morning to the Lord's table, we're coming as living stones. And God is building us together. He chose us and he's chiseling us and he's cementing us together to be this place of shelter for those to come in and meet the resurrected Jesus Christ, the only foundation stone. So right now I pray that you would search your heart and you would say, you know what? Look for the areas, look for the red flags of shame. Look for the red flags of shame in your heart. Where, where do I get ashamed? Oh, when people criticize this or when people push on that or press on, when I start losing control here. Confess those faulty foundations and come to the living stone this morning and receive his body into your hand that was crucified for you and take his blood into your mouth that was shed for you, that you have a great anchor that goes behind the veil, that you have a great foundation that cannot be shaken. Do you have the boldness? Do you have the audacity to pray the prayer, Father, destroy every faulty foundation in my life? Jesus, would you do that for us? Give us hope in the gospel. Give us hope in your son as you feed us with yourself this morning. We come to you with open, empty hands. We need your grace and we ask for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.